This is Talking Business. I'm joined now by Anna Skarbek, who's the CEO of Climate Works Australia and also a director of Impact Investment Group. Um, G'day, Anna. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Alan. Now, um, uh, Climate Works Australia, uh, it's um, a JV between Monash University and my foundation. What does it do? What is it? Uh, it focuses on pathways to substantially reducing carbon emissions in Australia and in our region. You mean it helps uh, outfits, other other companies yes. and as a organisations do it? That's right. To, uh, set up to be a bridge between research and action as a source of trusted advice for businesses and so governments. Do you, do you do your own research? We do. And we draw on others as well. And we do a lot of convening to help industry and policymakers understand what the research is showing about Australia's terrific opportunities so when, for when doing more. So when was it set up? Almost 10 years ago. We're celebrating our 10th anniversary this year. Right. And were you the in- inaugural CEO? So you've been yes, there 10 I was. years? I have. I have. And uh, we've grown to a staff of almost 40 people now from a start of one. Right. And uh, we've had support from major philanthropic foundations in Australia and also state governments, federal governments and industry groups who want help to reduce emissions and design pathways for net zero. Was it your idea? Uh, No, it was the Meyer family's idea through their foundation. And they partnered with Monash University, who has a sustainable development institute that was looking to do exactly this and help translate research into action. Interesting. I mean, that was quite early, 2009. Yes. Um... I'm just trying to remember. That was when Tony Abbott took over from Malcolm Turnbull. It was that year. We... By one vote, uh, and the whole thing turned around because Turnbull was negotiating with Kevin Rudd to um, have a bipartisan emissions reduction scheme, and uh, that all went pear-shaped after that. Your memory is excellent. Climate Works was two months old when that happened. Right. So our first 10 years has, has ridden the roller coaster of... Australian oh, so, so when the My Foundation thought of this and there was started some this, years prior, I, it, no, but it was be, before. It was actually while we had a, an ETS, uh, you know, actually happening because it was the CPRS Rudd's thing scheme was the CPRS. It was the My Family began their work before that, uh, during the previous government uh, when there had been the major international report from Lord Nicholas Stern. There had been the Inconvenient Truth movie. There had been quite a lot of activity around the need and And the possibility to do more. And there had also been the Shergold report in Australia, which recommended an emissions reduction scheme. Yes. And so the foundation agreed um, as part of their 2008 50th anniversary year to do a substantial new organisation to create Climate Works. And so one year later, we were in operations. And what were you doing before that? Where did they pluck you from? Uh, I was in London working in the European carbon trading system um, in a specialist investment bank called Climate Change Capital that was set up to help manage carbon reduction projects and to help investors buy and sell renewable energy assets. Right. So did, did they come after you or did you see this opportunity and apply for the job? Bit of both. A bit of both. Uh, the chairman is Professor John Thwaites, who had been Victoria's first minister for climate change and minister for water and environment. Um, and I had worked in the Victorian government as an advisor to him during that term, having previously worked at Macquarie Bank in Melbourne. So it was a good fit to return to Australia to take this on. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, um, do you actually uh, make any revenue or is it, do you give everything away? Uh, we we reinvest it in more staff to undertake more advice to help right, more, but you more do charge for your services. Do you? We do sometimes, yes, um, and sometimes we we do 
our own research that's funded by the philanthropy that is funded for public good. So we've published some major national pieces to show Australia has, in fact, terrific opportunities to be a successful zero carbon economy. And we undertake that work with our philanthropic funding. And then other companies and governments then ask us to apply it to their area. And that's where we would charge for those services and then reinvest that in in order for us to do new research into new innovations and pathways. So Australia has been a bit of a, what you'd call uh, perhaps a climate policy desert the past 10 years. Has that made things easier or, or more difficult for you? Both. It hasn't always been a desert. There have been policies in place um, in about the middle of the last decade, and we've done research to show that... Um, were you talking about the um, the Labor government's yes. policies, which were subsequently repealed? They were. When they were in operation, um, and the policies before that as well, um, Australia's emissions reductions pace was really good. It was close to what it needs to be to achieve the Paris Agreement. And Many of those policies, some was repealed, the, the carbon price itself, but others um, are still operating successfully, like the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, which is one of the largest green investment banks in the world. And the RET, the Renewable Energy Target that's as right, well. That's right, that's right. Um, so it hasn't been a, a complete desert at all. It's, it's been a rocky road at times. Um, but meanwhile, momentum in the rest of the world has accelerated. And most companies now see, and particularly the finance sector, sees that capital is global and that um, sentiment, consumer sentiment, is also global. And that has really shifted in the last decade and is is now driving a lot of this momentum and giving some space that policy can catch up. So how much demand is there for your for your services? I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to get a sense of your size, how many, how many people you employ, what sort of budget you have. We employ close to 40 staff now, and we work across most of the sectors of the Australian economy. So we're working with the finance sector, we're working with industry, heavy industry. We're working with the food and land sector, agriculture in particular. Um, we work a lot with state governments and local governments in transport, electric vehicles. Um, and we also have a team focused on international support for Southeast Asia and the Pacific, who really need a lot of support in helping build their own capacity to do this kind of long-term planning for What exactly do you carbon. do? We help show what technologies can do to reduce emissions, how much bang for buck do you get from each different sorts of technologies in each of those sectors that can help an economy operate in a zero emissions way? And then we look at, well, why isn't that happening? If those technologies already exist, why is it not happening? And we look at the barriers to that and we look at what enablers could unlock that. Sometimes it's policy to level the playing field. Sometimes it's industry practice and simply knowledge sharing, capacity building, creating simpler tools. And sometimes it's a combination of both. But do you mostly consult to businesses that are trying to reduce their own emissions or do you consult to governments and organisations developing policy? Both, both. There's been a lot of activity at the state government level and in many federal government departments at each of those sectors that I talked about before. The building code is being upgraded for improved energy efficiency performance at the moment that we've worked closely with the property sector and the government on. Um, Transport sector is looking at vehicle emissions efficiency standards, electric vehicle infrastructure charging. There's a lot of activity in each of those sectors, as well as in agriculture and finance. The prudential regulators are looking closely at climate risk and helping companies to measure and report on on how they can respond to climate risk. So do you think the world is going to meet the Paris target of 2% um, with an ambition of 1.5%? Yes, I haven't ruled it out yet. I see that we can. At the moment, we're not at the pace but the direction's in the right, the, the, the momentum's in the right direction. 
And our task is to accelerate that momentum in the next decade. But actually, when that acceleration happens, if we can harness the power of the market, I'm really confident that often in, in renewables in particular, the market has surprised on the upside with performance better than what people had in previously forecast. And so our task is to show the way and help accelerate it now. And we've mapped out that there are technologies already invented that can allow us to achieve the Paris Agreement if we get our skates on. And, and do you think that if we meet the Paris Agreement targets, we'll be OK? It'll be a warmer world, which is a bit more volatile in terms of some extreme weather. But actually, some of the what excites me is some of the solutions to meeting those targets give us a lot of other win-win benefits too. Um, cleaner air, quieter roads, um, healthier soils that have sequestered more carbon actually can retain more water and allow us to cope better with droughts and allow us to be, a, a, with, you know, to, to have a more sustainable food system. Um, almost as a as the main, that's the main goal, but you can get there if you focus on a carbon goal. So the more I look at the solutions, the more I get excited that actually achieving the carbon solutions gives us these other win-win benefits of more comfortable buildings, um, happier, our research shows tenants are happier and have fewer sick days when buildings are environmentally sustainable, as well, an example. Some of the stuff I've been reading, you know, is very grim, you know, leads you to think that... Uh it's not going to be a very nice future at all. There, there is plenty, plenty of grim stuff to read about as well. But in my world, I spend most of my time reading about the solutions. And they actually haven't had as much media attention. Um, but there's a lot happening. And it is exciting because not only are they solutions that do add up to the right amount of emissions reductions that we need, but they have these other benefits that are, in fact, the main game, like healthier food and soils and healthier people and healthier buildings and quieter cars. And so what do you think about the proposition that Australia's uh, such a small part of the, the global sort of emissions um, that we're not going to make much difference? Does it ever feel to you like you're not making much difference to the world because you, you're operating in Australia? Uh, no. I have a lot of international friends in this sector and they're watching Australia really closely. We are a really important part of the global supply chain. But also that statistic that's often quoted that we're, we're one and a bit percent of global emissions we're in the top 20 global emitters because there are about a dozen countries that are the same as us. There's there's a big top half dozen and then the next dozen are all one and a bit percent. And so together, the top 20 are three quarters of the world's emissions and we're in that. But also there's a sentiment thing and the rest of the world is looking at Australia as a fabulously placed large landmass with excellent renewable resources, with a well-educated population close to Asia and the opportunity to be a real winner as a clean energy superpower, provider of renewable energy to others, provider of clean food, provider of even forestry sequestration. Um, so the rest of the world is, is watching us, um, but also they're moving ahead and not going to wait for us. And so there's there's the other way to look at it is that we're, we're, we're small enough that we could miss the boat if others move, um, but we're big enough that they're, they're watching and that it can help accelerate momentum if we also accelerate. And what about your organisation? Does it have a long-term future as a philanthropically funded? We're always uh, dependent thing? on future philanthropic grants. Um, pleasingly, that's increased as over the decade. And I think more and more foundations realise now, um, as do businesses and governments, um, this is an ordinary part of doing business and it's an essential part of philanthropy. So you've grown by getting money from other 
are the foundations. foundations. That's right. right. Yeah. Uh, and tell me about Impact Investment Group, which you're a director of. What is it? It's a specialist investment manager that's um, allowing private investors, family offices, um, wholesale investors to invest in financial returns that provide an impact as well for environmental and social benefit. So they're investing in buildings, solar farms, and venture capital on the clean tech through venture capital. And whose money are they investing? Just uh, private, uh, private, private people? Private investors, um, institutional investors, superannuation firms. Um, there is a growing momentum toward this impact investment concept and impact investment group are dedicated to doing only that. So that is definitely earning a good financial return, but making sure that those assets also have an environmental return and or a social one. And it's, it's pretty easy to do in those asset classes such as buildings with environmental improvements, improved precincts and renewables and clean tech. The financial returns have been really strong and the team are fantastic to work with. Everyone's aligning their values with commercial nows and energy. It's exciting. It's great. Well, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Alan. I've been talking to Anna Scarbeck, who is the CEO of Climate Works Australia and an independent director of Impact Investment Group.